Welcome back to another episode of Turn Up the Volumes. I'm Tori. And I'm Evelyn. And we are here to wrap up the ballad of Songbirds and Snakes by Suzanne Collins. Very exciting. And this book was a long time coming for us. We'd been talking about it since it came out, talking about doing it, and I'm glad that we finally read it. So we're just going to dive in. Talk about our expectations, how we like the book, favorite characters, all that stuff, and we'll just get right into it. So, Evelyn, <laughs> what was it like, this your second such... read-through? Uh, really interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was easier because I could just uh, speed read it, mm-hmm. in a way, you know what I mean? But I also was able to pick up on a lot of the uh, parallels between the Hunger Games series and the prequel, and just like the stuff going on before. But it was also interesting, uh, it was easier to see some of the differences um, in Snow's journey, like, in mm. his villain story, yeah. and pick up on little things that are like, mm, okay, that's some of your character <laughs> shining through really early. Uh-huh. Or some of the things that he'd say, you'd be like, hmm. Hmm. Um, lots of foreshadowing going on. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But oh, yeah. what did you think your first time? I'm really curious because, like, we talked about this last time, how a lot of people either hated this book or loved this book. Mm. Yeah, so I I was really unsure when we started this book because uh, it was a lot of exposition. I was so bored. I was like, this is not what I want from this book. <laughs> and yeah. then I think I started the next chapter and I was hooked. And I was like, oh, I should have read one more chapter. <laughs> Right. um, I read through the book in like two days at that point. Um, And I absolutely love this book. There's definitely things that I was like, oh, you know, I would have liked more like detail on that or something. But overall, I thought it was a a really good prequel. Um, It definitely scratched that Hunger Games itch I think I've been feeling since we reread the series last year. Of, like, just wanting more and wanting more information. Um, Like I said last episode, I'm a really big fan of lore and kind of world building. So I really enjoyed kind of getting more of the history and everything and seeing it all play out. Especially near the end of the book, where everything's really coming down to brass tacks. So, um, yeah, I really, really liked it. Um... I think I would definitely, I'm really, it made me excited for the movie. So, oh, yeah. Okay. Um, I'm very, very excited to see how that plays out with the book. Um, so, yeah, that's that was kind of like my initial overall view of the book. So, yeah. Yeah, amazing. I mean, what did you think about, um, what did you think about our protagonist? Um, I know it's, it's hard. I'm like, "Mm, he's the protagonist. But then I remember, like, it's like, protagonists are not always good guys. They're just the main character of the story. Um, I think that Suzanne Collins did a really good job of balancing him, of, like, giving him enough, like, not morality, not, that's not the right word, but, like, a little bit of sympathy in the beginning, but then kind of watching him fall apart and then being like, no, this is kind of how he's been all along. It's just mm-hmm. was like something hiding in him that awoke through extenuating circumstances. It wasn't like, it. he wasn't forced into anything. It was just like, it was resting beneath the surface and he didn't even know that he was capable of the things that he does by the end of the book. Um, yeah. I, I kind of enjoyed it. I've always 
enjoyed a darker main character. I think it's a little bit spicier. It definitely is spicy. And I think one thing even um, Coriolanus, if that's how you say his name, Mm -hmm. uh, had said was, you know, he believed that everybody would be like animals and there'd be no order and violent. Like the Hunger Games represented that, you know, if there was no... um, order you know nobody mm-hmm. enforcing that and i feel like that definitely really uh it it came out in his character like you said progressively through the whole book mm-hmm. and he is likable like he's definitely i liked him as a, a main character yeah but obviously like, you can see where he started to fall apart or like even some of the views that he had like i kept laughing every time he would be like lucy gray is mine she belongs to me. <laughs> she is literally mine. I like, and then talking about how after the Hunger Games, she would just, you know, he'd have her living in the apartment like she'd be like some pet or something. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and I feel like honestly, that's how he thinks about Pan Am. Like, especially when he becomes the president, it's like, well, you're mine. I, you're under my rule, basically. Like, I just feel like that's a continuing theme under the surface for him in the other books. So I, I really liked that extra detail in the mm-hmm. prequel. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And there was that theme of, um, you know, the underdog kind of vibe mm-hmm. going on with Lucy Gray. And I feel like though they do have personality differences between Katniss and Lucy Gray, they both come from District 12, even mm-hmm. though Lucy's always like, the copy, I'm from the copy, I'm copy, not that mm-hmm. District 12. Um, but I feel like, you know, it's that underdog place where nobody really expects a victor from 12 and she mm-hmm. prevails through it all. And she's singing, and she has all these songs that you kind of, some of them you remember from the Hunger Games series, so it's kind mm-hmm. of like you get a, a little glimpse into their origin, and then you get to see, you know, Lucy is living in the scene where Katniss was living, you know, years mm-hmm. and years later, obviously. Right. Um, so it's just kind of neat to see that, you know, mm-hmm. played out in the prequel. Yeah, I really love the origin of the Hanging Tree and the mm-hmm. Meadow song. Um and I'm just, like, now my my mind has been racing since I figured, like, I'm like, are we, like, how did these songs make their way to Katniss in the first place? Like, I'm like, are we supposed to assume that there's a member of the Kobe that's related to Katniss? Because they weren't allowed to sing, you know, mm-hmm. after that one f- performance. And I'm like, how many people are going to remember from one performance that one song? Unless it's passed down from generation to generation. Right. Which, in theory, to me, it makes sense that one of the Kobe members is Katniss's grandparent. Yeah, I definitely got that vibe. Like, it's definitely possible. Because yeah. why wouldn't it be? Right, and I feel like the youngest girl, I can't remember her name. Um, oh, Maud. Ivory? Maud Ivory? I feel like she's got to be Katniss's grandmother. <laughs> I feel like that just really makes sense for me. Yeah, it would make sense. Let's believe that. I feel like, let's yeah. make that our truth. And it was just, it was just, it was too coincidental, especially with the Meadow song that she sings to Maud Ivory when she can't sleep. Yeah. And it's the song that Katniss sings to um, Rue when she's dying. I'm just like, it's just... Yep. It's it's too coincidental. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, there's no way that Lucy is involved anyway, but it's it's gotta be Maud Ivory in some way or capacity is related. Um... So I thought that was really cool. I really loved that whole aspect. And I just, I love that it opens the door for those to be used in the new movie. Just really excited about that. Because uh, I love those songs. So, um, I also really loved the 
Um, Because you know how, like, in the uh, original series, it was like, well, we only had one victor from 12, and that was Haymitch, you know? And I liked how they kept that up with, well, basically, this film was erased. This was basically the Missing Hunger Games. Like, no one even really watched it in the districts. Like, really, only the capital knows Mm -hmm. anything. Um, So I really liked that consistency, that continuity through the books. Because I was like... Because when I was starting, I was like, there's no way Lucy can win because there's only been one victor from District 12, and that's mm-hmm. Hamish. Mm-hmm. So I was like, how are they going to pull this off? Yeah, I know. And, yeah, I really loved that continuity kept through the books. And I was like, honestly, that makes sense. That makes total sense, actually. <laughs> it does make sense. And it's interesting to see the difference between how The Hunger Games was viewed uh, at the beginning versus how it kind of like progressed with President Snow being like in charge of it and evolving it. Mm-hmm. Like how they even like, oh yeah, apparently that girl was like on the Hunger Games or apparently blah blah blah. Like, yeah. oh, she just got back from the Capitol? Oh wow. Like people weren't really sure. Mm-hmm. Whereas fast forward to, you know, I don't want to say present day Hunger Games, but you know, the Hunger Games series where it was like a big deal. There's the mansions, you know, there's all these perks that come along with being a victor. And they just aren't. It just wasn't like that in the beginning. Yeah. I really liked the whole, especially in, like, the epilogue of the book, where basically all the things we know about the Hunger Games started to exist for the 11th Hunger Games, when Snow starts working, like, as an intern with Dr. Gall. Like, you know, like, yeah, like you said, the villages, the every family in the winning district gets food, like, it's a year of plenty, all this stuff. That we just, like, are used to in the original series. And even just reading the old series, I'm like, it, they're just in, like, an amphitheater. Like, there's nothing special. There's no crazy, like, bombs going off. Like, it's literally just kids in a ring. Right. <laughs> like, fighting to the death. Yeah, literally. So, I really liked all that. Like, ah, this makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> so, I really liked that um, aspect of the book. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, um, did you have any favorite quotes from the book or favorite phrases? Because I know I did. <laughs> uh, well, I loved it when uh, Tigress would always remind Snow. She, like, Snow lands on top. And even when they were writing letters back and forth, mm-hmm. <laughs> she wrote slot. And I was just yes. like, like, what does slot? Like, what yeah. is she saying? What is she saying? And then I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yep. I literally wrote down the same thing. I said, Snowlands on top, and I liked how it's kind of a continuing theme, even throughout the later books, even if it's just in the background, we don't really see that as much, but yep. it still feels like, I'm like, if I reread the series again now, I feel like I would just still see that energy, mm-hmm. and I, I'm like, yeah, I love that she writes slot on the bottom of her letters. That, just really, <laughs> that really gave me a lot of joy, <laughs> so I also like that. Um, did you have a favorite character? Mm. Um, I definitely liked Lucy. I felt like she was just a really interesting character, like, you know, kind of this wild and free spirit that, you know, for whatever reason, drew Coriolanus in. Like, they're just mm-hmm. very opposite in that way. But in the end, he ultimately couldn't handle that. And, yeah. you know, he had his nice magical self-destruction moment towards the end that we can talk about after. But yeah, I liked Lucy a lot. I think she's really an interesting character and I like that she in some way even disassociates herself from District mm-hmm. 12 mm-hmm. and kind of views herself as other. You know what I mean? Yeah. As the co- the cubby, Kobe, whatever. 
But what about you? Yeah, I also had Lucy down just because when she's just such a dominating personality throughout mm-hmm. the whole book. Obviously, she's one of the main protagonists. Like, she's the character B, basically, throughout the whole story. And um, I really love her energy. I like how she just, from the first moment we meet her, she is just, she commands the plot right from the beginning. Mm -hmm. And I just absolutely love her. I also love Maude Ivory, even though I couldn't remember her name earlier, but I do (laughs) love her. And it's only because I didn't look at my book before I started this podcast. Um, I just love how sweet she is, and but also, like, very clear on what she wants. Like, I feel like all the Kobe members were all very just clear about everything. I mean, like, no, this is what we do. Like, I'm not going to take any crap from you. Like, this is just our life, and we're going to do it. So, yeah. um, I liked her a lot. And I also liked Ma. Uh, yeah. Sejanus's mom. I loved her. I was like, I felt bad for her the whole book. I just wanted to hug her. <laughs> I know. It is so. sad. Um, those are my favorite characters. Um, any scenes or moments that really struck you? Um, <laughs> so the scene where, um, where Lucy is telling Snow that she trusts him. Mm. And... He's really having this internal, uh, internal moment where he's like, oh, like, what does that even mean? Mm-hmm. You know, blah, blah, blah. He's starting to kind of have these weird feelings stirring up inside him. And then right after, he, um, ta- I, I never know how to pronounce this, the guy's name. It's like, say, I almost want to say, say Hannes or say John. I don't say, I don't even know. Yeah, I don't know. I always say, uh, Sejanus, which sounds wrong, but I'm like, I don't know any other way to say it, so I'm keeping it that way. Right. But then he has that conversation immediately after, where he's like, I trust you, I trust you, which is kind of like, to me, it's sensing in the plot, okay, there's about to be a betrayal. There's about to be some clear betrayal of this trust. This trust Mm. is misplaced. So then you're just trying to, like, unravel, okay, how is this going to go down? But that, yeah, that scene definitely, like, struck me. Even the first time, I was like, "Mm, mm, Mm mm-hmm, bad. All right, what about you? Um, I felt like the moment that really struck me the most was when Coriolanus betrayed Sejanus with the, um, Jabber Jays. Yep. Um, which also the whole just lead up with the Jabber Jays was really great, but, um, I felt like even though he'd, like, been scheming a little bit kind of throughout the book, but I felt like this was his final push into the snow that we know Mm -hmm. in the original series. Um, just kind of that really heavy scheming Snow that we know who's always controlling everything from the background, always trying to get himself ahead because he has to land on top. That's his family legacy. So I, I really, I didn't, not necessarily liked that scene, but it it just stuck with me. Mm. So Mm -hmm. I was like, it just, it felt very true to the character. Definitely. And that was unfortunate. (laughs) (laughs) I know, you um, want him to, like, turn out good, but you know the ending. It's like... Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, that was the moment that struck me the most, I would say. I did actually really, um, I really, not that I liked it, but, like, I mm-hmm. thought it was really good and interesting when, um, when Snow and Lucy were, um, at the end of the book, like, when they have their big moment in the woods mm-hmm. by the lake, and he realizes that she has somehow pieced together the things that he's kept hidden from her. 
Mm-hmm. And now she's hiding from him, like, either scared of him or whatever. And now he's, like, pursuing her with a gun. Yes. <laughs> and that was a, Yeah. And he realizes, he's like, that they're in their own twisted one-on-one Hunger Games. Yes. Like, how uh, their relationship had shifted in, like, five minutes. Yes. So, that, was that was so crazy. Yeah. That, I literally, I, I, like, missed a paragraph when I was reading that the first, because you know me, my brain just skips exposition. And mm-hmm. so I'm reading that, I was like, wait. When are, why, why are we hunting Lucy? We were going to run away with her a second ago. Like, I was like, hold on. So, yeah, that was, a, I, I was, because I was wondering how this book was going to end. I was like, we only got, like, 20 pages left at this point. Like, yep. there's got to be some resolution, and we know he doesn't run away with her. So, yep. um, yeah, that was pretty, pretty intense. Um, but it ended, I think, the way that it should have ended with both of them just going their separate ways. Right, and so. there's all that mystery surrounding Lucy now. Like, is she dead? Is she alive? Mm-hmm. You know, what's the story with her? And what do you think? Do you think she's dead, or do you think she's living on, like, the story, the song, the Lucy Gray right. song? I feel like um, she... I don't know if she would have made it to District 13 um, on her own, just because I feel like... There would have been some other clue, especially, like, even though, like, obviously, like, this is written after the original series, um, I just feel like Suzanne Collins did a really good job of weaving in certain aspects to make it appear certain ways that things happened, or, like, be like, oh, like, that person might have been related to this person, or something like that, so I'm like, and I also don't see her fitting in at District 13, Right. Um, I don't see her complying with their way of life, so I feel like she's just, the way she always was meant to be, free and just out living her life and by herself and just doing what she wanted to do. And now she has to live with that trauma of being betrayed. Yeah. Twice. Twice. (laughs) Yeah. Poor Lucy Gray. Good times. Good times. So... I did come up with a dream cast. Oh my goodness. For, I'm so ready for this. <laughs> for our for the movie coming out. Um I didn't do like, you know, like from any time or whatever. I wanted to make it like this could be pretty like realistic of a casting like a pr- like a options. Prediction? Yeah. Okay. If even one of these people makes it in the movie, I'll be pretty proud of myself. <laughs> I'm ready for this. Okay, so you're not going to know half of these actors' names, but I have things to connect them to. Okay, um, good. But, <laughs> okay. So, um, Coriolanus Snow. Um, I don't know if anyone has seen The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina on Netflix, the, like, Sabrina the Teenage Witch show that came out. Um, but Gavin Leatherwood, who plays Nicholas Scratch in that show, really struck me as a very, like, charismatic, um, a little bit sinister, um, definitely a schemer kind of actor. Um, he's got this thick curly hair, and is really pretty, and I was just like, and he's not in a ton of things yet, so I think it would be a really good, like, standout role for him. Yeah, I'm looking at his picture right now, and I could definitely see that. Yeah, so I feel like he would be really good um, for Lucy Gray. Ooh, wait, I'm ready, I'm ready. Um, I had two choices because my second choice, well, my uh, initial choice for, like, what I was picturing in the book, I don't think she can sing. Um, but Emmy, Emma Mackey, she looks like Margot Robbie, but, like, 20 years younger. 
Um, and she's in, um, a bunch of, like, Netflix original shows, but she's, like, just got this, like, energy to her that I think could really pull off Lucy Gray. Um, but, and she's actually going to be in the new Barbie movie coming out, I think, as a younger version of Margot Robbie. (laughs) So, um, but my... My other choice, because I know she can sing, and I know she's got great screen presence, and she'd fill the seats as Zendaya. Really? Yes. I think she would do a really, really good job with the role. I guess I could picture that. I mean, yeah. I definitely could picture it. I probably could picture that more than Emma Mackey, because Emma Mackey looks too old to be um, <laughs> Lucy Gray. I picture Lucy Gray looking a little bit, like, more youthful and maybe untouched by, well... Not untouched. She's definitely lived a hard life, though, so. Yeah. It's hard, because I'm like, I could go the new Percy Jackson route where I actually cast people who are age-appropriate, or I could go the actual way Hunger Games cast and cast, like, 20-year-olds. Right. So, all the (laughs) actors that I picked for the kids are, like, in their early 20s. Um, So, I went with the original way they cast. Mm -hmm. Um, So, for Dr. Gall, I had two options, because I feel like both ways would be good. Um, I had Helena Bodman Carter, because she's just that psycho. <laughs> um, or Sandra O. Oh, she's been in Killing Eve, Grey's Anatomy, um, just tons of really great TV shows, and I think it'd be a really great way for her to break into, like, a blockbuster movie, because she's just a phenomenal actress, mm-hmm. and she just has such range that I think she could really kill the role, but I think Kalina Bodman Carter is just like she is an age old, like classic um, blockbuster movie, like fill the seats person. So yes, I can um, totally picture that. Yeah, I think she'd be really good. And I think she's like the right age for it, and she's got that whole Tim Burton background that I think would really like just connect everything together. So, right. um, kind of that crazy pants look about her. Yes. So I, I think that. She'd be really good. Um, I've seen her play, like, Crazy Doctors before, so I'm like, this would work. <laughs> Perfect. Um, Dean Highbottom I struggled with a little bit, but I finally ran- landed on Michael Fassbender from X-Men, Steve Jobs, like, all uh, the new Alien movies. Um, I feel like he's, like, definitely got, like, more a military presence about him, but he also could kind of play someone who's been on, who's on drugs constantly. <laughs> Yes, I could picture that. So, and he's just like, I don't know, there's just something about him. And it was, like, kind of hard to tell how old he's supposed to be, because he's supposed to be, like, like Snow's dad's friend, so I'm like, he can't be that old. Right. <laughs> um, and then, Sejanus so Plinth, our good old whiny boy, mm-hmm. um, but, like, you feel bad for him, and you want to just, like, you're like, I just want you to, like, make everything okay for you. <laughs> I know. Timothy Chalamet. Oh my goodness, He'd no. play it so well, though. No, I choose Tom Holland. No, I I don't <laughs> think Tom Holland would play it well. I just love Timothy Chalamet too much. See, but I think he'd do a killer job with it, and I think Tom Holland's too big right. to play uh, Sejanus Plinth, personally. All right. All right, I'll let it slide. <laughs> and Timothy Chalamet has a, a pretty like, long history of, of portraying book characters, so he's already, like, 
knows how to work that style of acting a little bit more. So he's an I just, amazing actor. Yeah, he's so great. Um, Clemenzia Dovecote, um, the snake girl, <laughs> who I actually really enjoyed in the series. Um, I thought Simone Ashley would be really great for her. She was just in Bridgerton, yes. season two. Uh, she plays Kate, and I think she would kill it. Um, I think she's got that kind of aggressive spirit about her that would just really work, but she also plays that softer side, and Clemenzia has to have that, like, kind of back-and-forth personality shift halfway through the book, so I thought she would do a really great job with that. Yeah, I could see that. Um, for Tigress, I had a, I was like, I don't, I think she's older, but I couldn't remember, and I was like, who's someone who has been kind of out of the acting scene for a while, but I think would be really good, and I, this was a, this was a stretch, but I thought Anna Sophia Robb would be a really good tigress. Let me look. She played um, the girl from Because of Winn-Dixie. Oh. Oh. Well, you know what? Honestly, you should just cast this movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have two more. Um, the Grand Ma'am. <laughs> yes. I thought um, Jessica... Um, Lange should play her, and, or Lang, whoever you want to say her last name, it's like L-A-N-G-E, but, um, she's in pretty much every season of American Horror Story. Yes. <laughs> and she's just, I could just see her in it, that, like, fancy dress, being a little cuckoo, um, but, like, also cultivating respect, which is when she yeah. walks in the room, so... Um, I thought she'd be a really great choice. And then lastly, I cast Lucky Flickerman. <laughs> okay. Because very important to me. And I thought Rami Malek would be a really good choice. Yes! I'm like, I just think he could play a, like, magician weatherman who just doesn't know what to do with himself. Wow. Honestly, guys, I want to hear from you if you think that Tori's casting was 10 out of 10. I think it was 10 out of 10. <laughs> Thank so, you. Yeah. No, I worked really definitely hard on it. you understood the assignment. <laughs> <laughs> I told my roommates my casting choices and they're like, you should send an email to the casting director and I was like, Honestly, where do I get not? this email? <laughs> where do I do find it. this email? <laughs> Post it on Twitter, it's basically the same thing. Yeah, literally. So anyways, that is my dream cast. Obviously there's like tons of more characters, but I I was like, a lot of these characters are going to be really great upstart choices for, like, newer actors, just like the old series was. Um, so I think it'd be a really great way to introduce a lot of new, fresh talent into the oh, industry. Yeah. So I, that's why I left a lot of stuff empty, because I was like, there's just, like, there's just too many. And also, you know, I got the people in I wanted, and that's that. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, honestly, I'm not going to argue that. All right, so wrapping up, who would you recommend this book to and why? Ooh, well, obviously, to any Hunger Game lover, you know, Ooh. I was one of those people that loved this book. I didn't hate it. I could see maybe why some people might not like it. Mm -hmm. um, but I really feel like it was true to the Hunger Games series, though mm -hmm. the writing style seemed a little more mature. Um but it was really, really good. So if you like The Hunger Games, I highly recommend reading it. 
Um, you know, and if you're a dystopian reader, it's mm. always a good read. You could read it before even reading the Hunger Games series or without reading the Hunger Games series. Mm-hmm. So that's who I would recommend it to. What about you? Same. I said anyone who read the original series but wants more lore and history on the creation mm. of the Hunger Games. And also, if you recently reread the series and wanted something more or uh, a little bit of a deeper dive or even just something a little bit more mature i think that um the series really grows with the reader and i think that we're right now at the age that we're supposed to be reading it at we're young adults like um whereas the hunger games is definitely more you know high school stuff so i really thoroughly enjoyed reading the book and i think that anyone who definitely has been itching for more Hunger Games, should definitely check this book out. So, lastly, what? let's do our ratings out of Neon Snakes. Ten Neon Snakes. <laughs> what do you give your rating? Um, I'll give it eight Neon Snakes. Wow. High praise. Yes, I loved This book was great. I liked it a lot. <laughs> what about you? I gave it a seven out of ten Neon Snakes. All right, all right. Um, what I liked about it is, like, like I felt there's a lot of, you know, great content. I liked the character development, everything like that. But I would have liked a few more gaps filled in with the original series and some more closure on characters. I mean, Lucy, I liked the mystery of it. Yes. But I would have liked a little bit more lead up with the District 12 characters since I feel like we know so many of them in the original series that I would have liked a few more nods to, like, the people who work in the hob and, like, things like that. Um, but overall, I really like the book. I'm excited to see how the movie turns out, and maybe we'll do a little mini-episode. We'll go see the movie and see how we feel about the book versus movie adaptation. Oh, yes, we do. <laughs> um, so anyway, guys, that is the... Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, all wrapped up, tidy, with a bow. So let's talk about next month. <laughs> next <Okay>. month, <laughs> we have a surprise book that we have been so excited to announce. Evelyn, would you like to do the honors? <laughs> I would love to. <laughs> We're going to be reading Twilight, Woo! so buckle up. Yes, very exciting. I have never read it. Wow. Um, Evelyn, it's... It's very important to you. It is. And I think that I will, um, I'll dig out my Twilight shirt. I have an extra Twilight shirt. You could definitely wear it while we read. Perfect. Um, and, you know, maybe I can send you some photos of my uh, collectibles. They're right. Twilight Barbies. Your memorabilia. Yes. <laughs> so, I'm really excited. Yes. Uh, super excited to be reading Twilight by Stephanie Meyer. And we've been talking about doing this book for probably since the beginning of last year. (laughs) Um, But this is going to be kicking off our summer series. Drum roll. I don't know how to add in sound effects. Um, And that is going to be before they were adaptations. And basically, we are going to be diving into three books this summer that were turned into films, Mm -hmm. that were adapted into films, thus before they were adaptations. And we couldn't be more excited, so stay tuned for more information on all of our social media channels about that. You can find us on Instagram, at Trump the Volumes, Facebook.com slash Trump the Volumes Podcast, 
Twitter at TUTV underscore podcast. And you can email us at turnupthevolumes at gmail.com and join us in our Goodreads discussion group by clicking the link in any of our social media bios. And with that, guys, we will see you next month for Twilight. Bye, guys. Bye.